Hello, everyone. We got another Dirt Talk episode for you today. As always, I'm sitting in my house, but uh, a different room in my house. I'm not in my guest bedroom. I'm at my dining room table, change of scenery, and I am joined with Mr. Eric Jumper, our, I don't know, I don't even know what his title is, but. I, I don't know what my title is either. Yeah, I've actually had that question asked a couple times to me the last couple of weeks, and my answer's been different every time, so maybe we'll figure that out one day. Well, I still haven't figured out my title yet either, so makes two of us. That's all right. But uh, so due to my lack of planning, well, kind of my lack of planning, I uh, don't really have a guest for this week, and poor Eric is here in Nashville, Tennessee. We were supposed to be with Reed Contracting today in Alabama, but good old Mother Nature had other plans for us, so we've just been sitting at home today. And rather than do work, I said, hey, Eric, do you want to be on the podcast? And he reluctantly said, sure. It was, uh, I wasn't reluctant. It was, it was pretty amicable. Mm, it was mildly reluctant. Well, we're sitting here at the kitchen table, a.k.a. the conference room now, <laughs> it, so it's, it's on its way. Well, this is the Buildwood corporate headquarters yes. right here it's, for a few more months. Yeah. Making progress. Yeah. Well, so Eric, you are, you're from the dirt world. You're not a marketing guy. We stole you from the dirt world or trying to make you into yes. a marketing guy. The jury's still out on that one. Where'd you start in the world of dirt? So I was, uh, where do I start? It was uh, pretty early on in my life lifetime. I like to, my tagline is I'm a third generation operator in that, you know, my father was an operator. His father was an operator. My uncle's an operator. My cousin's an operator. You know, we're all, we've all been in it, so... There's a, there's a picture in my house somewhere of me as a baby being held by my dad in the bucket of the 992 wheel loader he was running when I guess he was about my age at the time. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where it all started. It's in my blood, really. Whose 992 was it? Oh, uh, man, I don't remember. Um, oh, man, it was some. he was working out of town at the time. It'll come back to me later. I think they were bought by Lehigh. Nice. I don't remember. It was yeah, a while. Everyone's been bought by Lehigh yeah. at some point. And, and your dad's still an operator now, right? So my dad is actually a site superintendent for Morgan Corp. That's what I meant. So, yeah. yeah, I yeah. don't think he's allowed in machines anymore. They're pretty, pretty strict. He said he's going to operator training, though. Yes, he is. He's going to Peoria. He told me <laughs> they like to send their guys out there. Yeah, yeah. It's full circle though. He's with Morgan Corp. So how did you get into it? Where did you, I mean, did you go to work with them or? Yeah. So I was always kind of on job sites with them um, when we were really young. One of my uncles and him had a excavation company in Charlotte. We lived in Charlotte for a small amount of time. And that was kind of where I got my first glimpse into it because he was always dragging me out on jobs. I was like five or six years old. He was always dragging me out there. And, you know, I'd go around, I'd pick up sticks or do whatever. And it was just fascinating to me as a child. You know, what's not fascinating as a child being out in, you know, these giant Tonka toys running around around you. So that was kind of my first introduction as a child. And then I really truly started getting into it maybe around 12 or 13 years old. I was kind of steadily out on job sites with them in the summertime. I think the summer that I was 13, I was running a skid steer for a while. And then my first real job was when I was 14. The company that my dad was working for at the time, the roller operator quit that summer. 
So I took on the responsibility of being a roller operator Damn. in a landfill of all places. Damn. We're doing a cell expansion. And uh, I guess I can probably say this now because it's so long ago, but at the time there were always the, my dad and the boss and everybody was always like, yeah, that kid's, he's not 14. He's, he's 18. What are you talking about? That's, that's just a really young looking 18 year old just to get me into the landfill. And it was, it was fun. Um, the following year, I didn't work in construction. That was actually the year I, I decided I wanted to try to be an entrepreneur. So I started a lawn care company when I was 15. I tell everyone it's a really stupid idea to start a company. Oh, my God, that I hate doing lawn care. I still hate lawn care. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually hate it more now than I did when I was a kid, I think, because I don't make any money at it now when I cut my own grass. So we did that for a while. Um, eventually, that kind of, that whole thing somehow turned into a pretty large-scale family company that we created about the time I was 17 or 18. But by, by some act of God, we ended up getting a pretty large-scale demolition project in our hometown. And it was, it was the funny, looking back on it, it's hilarious to me. You know, just me, my, my two kid brothers and me, my, my cousin, my uncle, and my father, my grandfather, we're all out there running different machines, all borrowed machines, nothing, we don't own anything. We're just out there pulling up scrap metal and taking out concrete slabs. And it was probably the most fun I've ever had on a job site to this day. So we did that. And then oh, we did that for a couple of years, um, took on some pretty large scale jobs on top of still doing lawn care and landscaping running that whole operation were you, you were going to school at the time too like yes if you were, yeah, yeah this 15, was all 16 17 yeah this was all during high school yeah um so you still would, legally had to go to school exactly yeah. yeah i would drive company trucks to school um i remember i remember uh, sitting in class one day and the, the principal comes in and he says whose dump truck is that outside is that jumpers he's got his name on it I'm like yeah he's like well it's in the fucking way <laughs> So I had to go move the, my dump truck that I had driven to school as a 17-year-old. Whose whose company was it? Who so it was my, owned it? It was my dad's company until yeah. I turned 18. And then uh, we'll, we'll get to that part of the story. Yeah. It, this all unravels really quickly. Okay, good. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great. So, yes, I was doing all this while I was still in school. So then when I was 18, we were kind of slowing down a bit. So that was when I just had gotten out of high school. Now, this is when I went back to work. Me and my dad had both gone back to work for another company. The The business was still in operation. So most people have probably heard of them. Phillips and Jordan had come to town. Yep. And they were doing a large power line infrastructure project in northeastern Pennsylvania. So it's really hard to turn down a job that pays $52 an hour at that scale. So jumped on that bandwagon for a little bit. Didn't really like working for somebody else. I still had that bug of like, oh, I want to run my own company. So stupidly, I left after about six months, I left that ridiculously high paying job. My father left shortly after. Um, spent the winter kind of messing around with, a, with my first ski industry job. Um, I went to be a groomer, terrain park builder in Mount Snow, Vermont. Did that for a couple months and then came back fresh and ready that spring to really run the company. So I was 19 now, and that March was when everything was in my name. Signed everything over. I I officially owned a company. That was probably one of the worst things that could have happened because I had no idea what I was doing. Yep. And well, 
I still don't know what I'm doing. But. Yeah. It, well, you're a little better off than I am, I think. I was, I don't know. So we were all really good at moving dirt. We were all really good at landscaping and whatever came our way. None of us were really that good at running a business. Yeah. And, and I don't think anybody ever really wanted to was the problem. We've seen, I mean, you know a lot of these guys too in this industry. They're, they're really damn good at moving dirt, really good at what they do, digging basements or grading things or whatever they do. Right. And when they come to the business, though, it's just they have no idea what they're doing. There's not very many good businessmen in this, in this world. And I tell people it's like most people don't really want to be a business owner. It sounds like a really good deal on the internet. Right. It's, it's really not that much fun. No, it's, <laughs> uh, and I know this firsthand, it is, it's so stressful. Yeah. Um, you know, the last year I was in business, I, I don't think I've ever felt that much stress before in my life. Like wasn't sleeping. It was horrible. So eventually we, we decided, let's see, I think it was 2018. No, 2016, my dad left. He went to South Carolina and I continued trying to make it work for another year. And it just, I, it got so much worse without any help. So finally just kind of sold everything off. Got rid of everything while I could. Still owed a bunch of money, you know, this and that. It's mm-hmm. as a business owner, you'll, you'll get to understand that yeah. real quick. Yep. So went back to work, went to work for a company called Mooshlitz, spent eight months moving massive amounts of dirt, learned how to run a scraper there. That was interesting. What, their 627s? No, so they got the 627s right after I left. They picked up the 627s the month after I left. I was running the KTEX. Oh, yeah. 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 I did enjoy running the KTEX. Yeah. Um, and, and the old timer that taught me, he really, he expressed to me how much he loved the KTEX, being that he was in a 627 most of his career, and he said KTEX or the Cadillac. So I, I did enjoy that. And um, I, I liked working there. I liked Northeastern PA, and that was, when I, that was where I grew up. Um, it's home. So it was getting tough. So in the in the winter, and most guys from the Northeast will understand with me on this one, is, you know, you work, you know, spring, summer, most of fall. And winter just kind of shuts you down. Mm-hmm. Um, that first snowfall that usually comes uh, beginning of December, end of December, it's like, you know, that's the last hoorah. So at that point, it's just like you're cut off until March, maybe April sometimes. That's it. You're just laid off. There's nothing you can do about it. I was, I was talking, I, was, I mean, I texted Steven this morning, yeah. talking to them about when they're going to be moving dirt. And he said, yeah, May, March, April. Yeah, and exactly. I, I'm from Arizona, so I didn't realize that, that was, that's the way that most of the country works yeah. in this industry. Most people don't understand that. And it's, no. it's with, um, I guess the last couple of years haven't been too bad because it's been a little warm. Thanks, global warming. But everywhere, like in the south, I mean, even even here in Tennessee, it gets wet. But like Arizona, you just work 365 days a year. Texas, yeah. 365 days. Like it's just, you just work all year round. No one gets laid off. And some guys like that. Yeah. A lot of guys, they like having their time off. I know. Well, it, it's it's it could go either way. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they just like having the three months off. I hated which, it. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you're like a school teacher. Yeah. You get your. Exactly. <laughs> you get it's, a few puns yeah. off. Yeah. Um, So I hated that a lot. Um, I did, I, for six seasons, I did manage to fill my time at ski resorts. I did enjoy that. However, the ski industry is probably one of the most underpaid industries you'll ever find. Underpaid and seasonal. 
and seasonal yeah, and most year round most mountains don't pay overtime it's all straight time so is it really yeah so there was a lot of times where pennsylvania's this way so as a as a train park groomer and builder there's so much time involved with just building parks and, mm-hmm. and creating so there'd, there'd be weeks where you'd have 80 hours on the clock and it's all straight time yeah yeah the i went out to I grew up skiing in Colorado in Telluride and very nice place. Very nice. Like it's beautiful. I, I did not understand how spoiled I was until I went to other ski resorts. Oh yeah. Even like some well-known ski resorts. It's just not like Telluride. Oh yeah. You can't start from the top and work your way down. No, you can only go up from there. Yeah. Um, so, so my parents really screwed me on that one, but I remember we would stay pretty close to the mountain and you'd see all the lights up and down all the, all oh, yeah. the, the, the slopes and yep. in the evenings and, and we'd be riding out in the gondola and you'd see the snow cats down below you. And I was just mesmerized by these damn things. I'd just sit in the, sit in the window and watch these, these damn snow cats do their thing. They had a ton of them up there. Oh yeah. Tons of them up there. And so a few years ago when I was back in Telluride, I think it was 2019, I just posted on my Instagram story. Hey, I'm going to be in Telluride. Is anyone a groomer there? And, and can you take me out? Yeah. I ended up, Two days later, getting hooked up with the terrain park builder yep. in Telluride, and he's like, "Oh yeah, man, come on out." So I just the, this the 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 run everything closes down. I'm in the same place where I learned how to ski, you know, when I was four years old or whatever it was. Right. The exact same place. It's it looks identical. And he picks me up in a snowcat and we go out for the night grooming this damn building this terrain park because it still wasn't even open yet, and it's just crazy. It is, and it's. It's so uncomparable. So it's heavy equipment in a sense, yes. but it's so uncomparable to anything as far as traditional heavy equipment goes. Yes. And like you just said, he picked you up. How many machines do you know of with a passenger seat? Yes. That you can just ride in the machine. and, and A very spacious passenger a seat. A very spacious. It's like yeah. a car. It's yeah. literally set up like a car. Yeah. Um, for, those, for anybody that doesn't understand how a snowcat works, it's left-hand drive, right-hand passenger seat. Yep. There are center, center seat models. They're not preferred, though. You want to you want to be on one side or the other. I wish I wish I knew what what kind of snowcat I was in, but it it, it is. I think they run PB four hundreds out there. The part they, pro, they're pretty big. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's crazy. Okay, he explained to me to me the whole thing about like how man made snow is different than natural snow, and depending on temperature, the snow is different. And, and there's so many things you have to think about when building. Oh, absolutely. One of these terrain parks. It's not you just you don't just push snow around. Right. Like it's it's a total art form in itself. Yeah, and you know. Not to not to brag about the East Coast a little bit, but I think the conditions that I always used to work in, and a lot of the East Coast guys will agree with me, it's way harder and way more challenging. Probably, yeah. With the snow. It's yeah. totally different snow, too. Yeah. I've never worked on the, the West Coast or in the Rockies or anything like that, but their snow is it's, it's primo compared yeah. to East Coast snow. Yeah. And um, one of the biggest challenges that the East Coast faces is the constant, you know, we're not always getting snowstorms. A lot of times you're getting rainstorms and rain brings freezing and freezing brings ice. So then you're fighting ice, trying to, trying to build something rideable out of ice, which is damn near impossible. In some cases, Uh, there's been countless times where we've groomed a park and we couldn't even open it the next day because it just ices up and it's, it's so nuts. It's, it's interesting because, you know, dirt versus snow. Okay. You go and make something pretty on dirt. Okay. It's, it's providing a whole different finished product, so to speak. So 
say you go build a, a building pad with a dozer, right? Okay, there's not a lot of liability as far as the dozer operator is concerned, right? No. It's just a building pad. He could really give two shits who trips and falls on a rock or something, right? Yeah. The ski industry is like 80% liability. So if I go out and build something, say I build a park, right? I build this jump. Well, say I fuck this jump up a little bit. That's on me, okay? Somebody hits that jump. They break their leg. Who do you think's at fault? The train park guys. And... That's one of the biggest challenges that the industry faces. And so a lot of corporations are going in and buying out massive amounts of, they're buying up smaller properties and they're buying up uh, smaller corporations. So with that comes, they want to limit their liability. So train parks are getting the squeeze right now in that sense too of liability. Mm. Um, it's crazy that the, I guess there's two things about it that really blow me away. One, it's all done at night. Most of it's done at night. Yes. As, well, during during season, right? You'll 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 do you'll build it during the day, but sometimes. But yeah, everything's everything's in it at night, pitch yeah. black. Yeah. So there's not a single light on the mountain. It's Absolutely. just you and your lights and what's right in front of yeah. you, and and so it's total solitude. It it it's almost it's almost kind of relaxing it in is. a sense. And then two, it's not like you're a GPS dozer hand looking at your Trimble model, right? You're just doing it. Yeah. You're just building jumps. Absolutely. And then you have to go, you know, ride them the next day yep. <laughs> and make sure you didn't build something so stupid yeah. that no one else could, that, that someone's going to hurt themselves on. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's just by eyeball yeah. at night. A lot of the guys, a lot of park builders don't traditionally run heavy equipment. They're not operators by trade. Yeah. They're just guys who love riding park. Yes. And some, and, and, yeah. you know, a lot of them started out with a rake in their hand. So yeah. not all of the work is done with the machine. There's a lot of handwork involved. So there's a lot of raking. That's park crews usually made up of three components. It's park manager. Sometimes he's also a park builder. Then you have your park builders and groomers. Those are the guys that actually run the machines. Then you have your park crew. So that's usually, you know, that's your laborers, basically, for all the dirt guys. That, that's your, your hand crew. So a lot of groomer operators start out, on the ground like that. Yeah. Um, some of them will transition over from, you know, we're talking about parks, but there's also a whole different element to it. There's also f trails. So trails is just like, I always call them mowing the grass because it's, it's pretty simple. I'm going to get some shit for that too, but it is, it's way simpler than parks. So a lot of guys will transition over from that too. And then, you know, like some guys, they don't like park. It's a lot of work. You know, it's back and forth all night long, whereas trails, you know, it's it's up and down the mountain. It's big, long loops. You know, a snowcat looks like a dozer, but it doesn't work like a dozer in most senses. So most dozers spend their time going forward and backward over the space of a couple hundred feet, whereas a snowcat will drive forward for miles, and then he'll turn around, and he'll drive the same direction a couple more miles. Just well, and, like, while you're grooming, you're not really using the front dozer part of it. Well, yeah, not in the same sense as a dozer. Yeah. You're not pushing massive blades. Yeah. So yeah. You're just kind of gently smoothing yeah. everything out. All, all, uh, all your work <clears throat> comes from your blade, but yes, you're not, yeah, you're not hogging material yeah, you're like all finish, night long. finish grading. Exactly. It's just fine finish grading. Yep, and then your yeah. tiller follows behind you and leaves that, you know, that corduroy. I iconic corduroy. Yeah, um, beautiful. But, uh, well, and then you have your winch cats too. 
Yes, and so those are a whole different ball that game. That is a whole different, and I don't have enough winch experience to talk about this. Yeah, um, well, especially in Colorado, some of the oh, mountains huge. and trails, there's yep. a lot of winch cats up there. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, that's so the purpose of a winch cat, and for people who don't know what a, what, what the folks a winch cat, so a winch cat is take a normal snow cat. It's more of a cab forward design, so there's enough space on the rear deck to fit a 360 degree rotating turret which houses a basically an oversized super winch in which you you know you start at the top of the mountain you tie your winch off to a tree or some some mountains will actually build dedicated winch points out of uh, concrete pillars tie off to that and that's that's where you start your work from so the purpose of a winch is to work on steeper than normal slopes and uh, most snowcats will climb without the winch these slopes, but they cannot push the amount of material that needs to be brought up. So something that the old timers always preach is the skiers bring the snow down the hill. We bring the snow back up the hill. Mm-hmm. So that's, you, you never want to push, unless you're building a park or something, you almost never want to be pushing snow downhill because you're never going to get it back up. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so much harder to bring snow uphill than it is downhill. So that's the purpose of the winch cat is to hog a bunch of material and bring it uphill. That's the most similar to a dozer you're going to get. Well, on a really steep slope. On a ridiculously steep just slope. Tied off to the top yeah. of the steel cable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the pipeline machines it, too. Yeah. That, or it's, the logging machines. Yeah. It's pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of um, the logging machines are tethered yeah. from the top. Yep. It's, but they have another machine, a separate excavator up top that tethers the, the bunch or whatever is it. Correct. Down below. And these winches are a little more complicated in that, you know, as you're going up and downhill, it's it's adjusting its pull. Yeah. So you're not, you're really not messing with the winch at all. So like a winch on a dozer, for instance, you know, if you want to run the winch, your hand is on the lever for the winch. Mm-hmm. With these snowcats, you set your tonnage that you want to put on the, on the rope and that's it. Kind of, the newer ones are... Pretty simple to run. They're almost automated. Um, fancy stuff. It's it's very fancy. Well, I um, unfortunately, I mean, I'd love to talk about snow all day long, but I don't know if people will. It's my favorite subject. Start to um, riot because of it because this podcast is called Dirt Talk, not Snow Talk, and I don't want to encroach on the snow guys' territory. No, I don't either. So I think we're gonna have to go back to dirt at some point here. I think we need to make a spinoff podcast though. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> There's enough people, and I think we can we can make something out of it. You know, the, people say dirt's a niche market, but I feel like groom snow grooming is a is a much more niche market than dirt is. Yeah, I I can I can agree with that. It's pretty cool though. Yeah, and the, the the um, it's interesting you say these these snowcat operators. They're not really equipment operators too. I mean, like a lot of the guys in Colorado I've met, they're just kind of dirt bags. Yeah. Like, they don't make very much money. No. But they live in a very expensive place. Well, see, I think that's how we got to this, but that's why I don't work in that industry anymore. Yeah. Because the most money I ever made was, like, $15 an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're 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 living way below the quote-unquote poverty line in yep. whatever town they're in. Yeah. And and they're just they're just dirtbagging. Yeah. And, and everyone in Colorado smoked weed. Well, especially if you, yeah, if you work for the ski resort, yes. you are just blazing it up. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to avoid that, yeah, in that it, industry. So it really is a specific type of person that's willing to do it in the first place. Right. It's like ski instructors too. Pretty similar. I mean, they yeah. don't make a whole lot of money. They're just there to 
kind of do their thing. They like being on the mountain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's no ski instructor that's there for his career. No, he's, it's not a career play. Yeah. Yeah. He's not investing in his 401k in, no. any, in any sense. We're going to get some shit for that one too, because I'm sure there's one guy out there. I yeah. I doubt yeah. he listens to this dirt podcast. I, well, he's I, waiting for snow talk to pop up. <laughs> Uh, so we found you, you were in South Carolina. You're still in South Carolina. Yes. Uh, what the hell were you doing down there? So my dad, um, he took a job. I think, like I said, the last, I think one or two years before I tossed the towel in and yeah, he's, he's like, Oh, it's great down here. And I've never been in the South aside from, you know, living there as a child in Charlotte. So I was like, Oh, what the hell? So it shows the South, but it's, Pretty refined. Yeah, yeah, it's different. Yeah. Um it's definitely no South Carolina. No. As and close I, as it is. Yeah, it's it's significantly different. I learned that. So I've been in I've been in Charleston for it'll be four years this spring. And I like it there. I do. So going from the northeast to what is commonly called the low country, which is, you know, everything to the east of I ninety five from about Myrtle Beach down to Savannah. That's the low country in a sense. Um, I think some people consider Florida low country too, but Florida's from, just Florida. They're from Florida, so yeah. I don't care what yeah. they think. Yeah. So there's a reason it's called the low country, and that's because the majority of the elevations throughout that area don't exceed, you know, forty or fifty feet. It's very it's very low and it's very um it's very wet. Very wet. I worked all around the low country for the past three years. I've never hit a rock. I mean, it's basically just a giant swamp. It is. Yeah. It's disgusting. You know, a lot of guys, it's tough to keep equipment in good shape. Um, you know, you're always sinking. For the first year or so, I was like, why are these guys always buffing their counterweights? Why Why are all the counterweights covered in mud? Why is this so hard? And I kind of started spending more time in. I was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense now mm-hmm. as, I, as I'm sinking down uh, past my tracks. It's tough. It is one of the toughest uh, environments I think you can probably work in as far as dirt goes. Well, South Carolina is tough for a few reasons. One, yeah, the soil is just absolute trash. It's garbage. Everywhere. Straight up. Two, the weather really sucks a lot of times. It's it, it's wet. Yeah. And um, you get hurricanes and, I mean, there's some, like I was when I was down with Bellwether, the, it was a few months ago now. That we were out there at this enormous track, and they're like, "Yeah, this was all underwater like three weeks ago. We yeah. couldn't even get in here. Like, wh- what? It was yeah. all underwater." And then three, the labor market is the biggest pile of dog shit in the entire United States. I feel like Correct. South Carolina is just a brutal place to hire people in this industry. Yeah, and uh, you know, again, coming from the Northeast. It was, it was such a culture shock going from everybody's always in a hurry, trying to get the job done. You know, you're surrounded by really talented people. To okay, now I'm in the southeast, nobody is in a hurry. There's no immediate rush. Yeah. To get the job done, for the most part, for the most part. Not a whole lot of skill. No. Lots um, of turnover. I went. I went from being taught to teaching. Yeah. In the south. It, it was absolutely fascinating to, to just, it was weird at first. Like, what do you mean you don't know how to do this or this or this? Like, they just, I guess just the way the culture is and the way everybody's raised is that nobody likes to teach each other. 
a lot of a lot of the current generation there is kind of struggling in a sense. Um, a lot of kids my age there are pretty frustrated with, and they get frustrated quickly in that. Um, I don't think a lot of people are willing to lend them a hand and kind of lead them a little bit, which is pretty aggravating to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about South Carolina too, as much as the industry sucks there, it is blowing and going. I've never seen so much infrastructure being created. Yeah. And now, you know, even in my short time here at BuildWit, seeing some of the country, I don't think anything compares in scale of manufacturing distribution you know, Volvo moved their plant there. Yeah. Mercedes-Benz vans. That's where all, any Amazon van that you see, it's made there in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. There's fields and fields and fields upon fields of brand new Amazon vans. Thousands of them ready to go. Boeing's there. Boeing's there. Um, Gulfstream is down there. Yeah. I mean, the military, there, huge military presence. There is more manufacturing at the airport than there is an actual airport. Yeah. And, and it had all... It all came from the Panama Canal, which is kind of crazy. Right. And and then they built that new bridge in Charleston, and yep. then they deepened the harbor, and now you have these bigger ships coming in. We, by, by, I want to say it's April 2021. Yes. I think it's spring of next year, because they just delivered the cranes. We'll have four ports in Charleston. Wow. Four. They're, they're finishing up a brand new one right now. It's pretty cool. There are so many containers in Charleston. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But yes, um, they also, I think it was last month, they brought the, it was the largest container ship through the canal, which is like a big deal because they've been dredging this harbor for years now. And it's, 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 it's something. It really is. When we were looking it up the other day, they've, I mean, in Savannah, they're, they're spending over a billion dollars just to dredge the damn thing. Yeah. To deepen it by like five or ten feet. Yeah. The whole thing by five or ten feet, a billion dollars sucking all that mud off the bottom. And it's only going to fill in. And it just fills back in. Just nonstop. One big storm. Good old Army Corps. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Army Corps is weird. This is the most experience I've had with the Army Corps, too. Um, They manage a lot of the the beach nourishment jobs down there, which is pretty big business, too. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating place. Can you explain the beach nourishment? Because those were probably the most fascinating photos I saw of yours to date. Yeah. Um, it's a very odd line of work. Man, it is. And it's only getting bigger the more cities and governments kind of see value in it. So beach nourishment is the replenishment of sand on the beach. So if you go to the beach, sometimes you'll notice that the beach is kind of shallow or it doesn't go out that far or it's... Everybody's kind of crowded in a very small spot. Well, that beach is due for a nourishment. And what happens is the beach slowly erodes over time. And places that are subject to frequent hurricanes, that only expedites the process of needing replenishment because those, those big storm surges, they steal the sand off the beach. And if it wasn't for the fact that uh, beaches and island homes weren't so damn expensive, this probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. We'd probably just let the islands go and let the beaches go. Well, I mean, it has happened for hundreds of millions of years. It is, but then we started yeah. putting mansions on the beach, and now it's a problem all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Yeah. So to protect real estate is is the main driving purpose behind this. So what they do is it's roughly, right now the projections are like 
somewhere between five and seven years and seven to ten years, depending on the beach, is when they are due for replenishment. So let's use the the biggest one that I was involved with per se, for example. So the year I moved to Charleston in 2018, they were about midway through the Folly Beach Nourishment Project. And it was with uh, Marinex Construction, which was a local company. And they had their cutter dredge set up in the in the bay, which is not usual. Normally, like Great Lakes will set up their, their barge and their, their cutter dredge. They'll set that up five or six miles out in the ocean. And what, what the dredge does is it's not a typical dredge in that, you know, it's not like a long-range excavator where you're just digging out mud that you can't see under the water. A cutter dredge works in that I kind of describe it as a Dremel tool on the front of a boat, yeah. basically, with, yeah. with a vacuum behind it. That's a good visual, yeah. That's about the best way I can describe it for nobody, for anybody that has zero marine construction experience. So this weird Dremel tool, they'll go out to a very shallow sandbar or, you know, if they have good material in a harbor, they'll work with that too, which isn't very common because most of the harbor material is mud. So they'll find a sandbar and they'll start cutting. And that that dredge will send the material that they're cutting as a slurry, sand, water, shells, the whole nine yards, anything that picks up. It'll send that through a series of pipes. They call them stove pipes. When they get them on the, when they get them on the beach, they're stove pipes. So they're just these giant steel pipes. And they run them along the beach until they get to the point where they want to start putting their slurry on the beach. And then that slurry will hit what's called a spreader. So it'll come to the end of the pipe, and it'll be kind of like a little slide that shoots it up in the air and disperses the sand and slurry onto the beach. So at that point, then there's a series of dozers lined up and waiting for the slurry to come. And that slurry will eventually build up the water They'll make a nice little path for the water in the slurry mix to run off back into the ocean, leaving the sand behind. And that sand will eventually build up to the point where the dozers need to come in and start pushing it around. So most companies and most jobs now are monitored by GPS. So they have to put the beach to a certain spec. It's got to be at such an elevation, and it's mostly to track quantities, really because that's how they get paid by the yard. And that's pretty much it. So, But it's like, it's so picturesque because you have these dozers on these beautiful white sand beaches yeah. next to millions of dollars of real estate. You know, beautiful, beautiful water. Right. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's fascinating. And I was talking to Sam Meeker the other day, and I, I misspoke. I said, potentially one of the worst places for a dozer is like a steel mill or cement plant or landfill no it's the beach it's the beach and yeah. and i i realized that when i was listening to it after i'm like damn it i didn't even talk about a dozer working in salt water all day because those things get absolutely ruined yes so great lakes so great lakes is the most prominent company in the industry as far as nourishment goes they do a lot of other, other stuff but they're the pride of their fleet is their d70s and i know I know how you feel about D70s. Yeah, uh, but I just are, collected my data points based on everyone else's feelings about them. Well, I, I'm pretty sure Great Lakes is their number one customer as far as D7s go. So that they love those damn <clears throat> things. And 
I never got a straight answer as to why, as to why they're the best for, for that job. I hear it has a lot to do with, so they offer, it's called a, a nourishment package or a dredging package for the D70. And it doesn't really entail a lot. It's just some extra coating on wires and it kind of beefs up a couple things. And it's nothing, it's nothing special, but I think they kind of sold Great Lakes on that. Mm-hmm. That's... I, that's about all I know in, in that it's like, aspect. But. It's like some of these trim packages on cars. You get like different floor mats with it. Exactly. Maybe a different badge <laughs> on the back and you feel really cool. And yeah. Like, yeah. No, it's, no, I got this, the plus version. I think you nailed it. Yeah. But yes, that is the most common dozer I've seen out there. And usually they get like three or 4,000 hours out of them. Yeah. And they're junk. When I was at Richie Brothers down in Florida, Orlando, I think this past year in February. Yep. They had probably like 50 D70s down there. Really? That were, most of them are in construction. And and these bastards, they go and they paint these things to make them look totally beautiful. But they've been in salt water their entire lives. Entire lives. It's easy to tell too, because pitting at that scale. I know, but if you're bidding online from, I don't know, Africa, which happens quite a bit now. Yep. I don't know where this machine was, and it looks beautiful. This is oh my god! And it only has three thousand hours on it. Wow, what a deal! Yep. <laughs> well, and, then and, you get the thing. Yep, it was and, in salt water. Well, and unfortunately, that's probably in in most cases at, at that is probably the nicest machine they'll end up with. Really? Uh, well, yeah. A lot of the auction yeah. machines go overseas now. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, if you were just to uh, probably just look at it in person, it's pretty easy to tell. Oh yeah, because there's like pieces of bodywork that are disintegrating. Well, the the easiest way to tell, especially if it's painted, just open the doors and look on the floor. Yeah, yeah. pick up the floorboard because odds are, if you pick up the floor or the, the floor mat, there's no floor underneath <laughs> yeah. it. It's probably held up by a piece of two by four or something. There's not much there. That's the easiest way. Because some guys will run with the doors open. That's when you really see the damage. Yeah, um, I don't blame them though. You get a nice sea breeze. Oh, it's beautiful. I, you see, I, yeah, there's people that. Can't ask for a better place to work. They want to, if they see you operating a machine with the window open or the door open, they want to pull you out of the machine and beat your ass. I'm, Whereas I'm my, that person. <laughs> my thinking's always been, if it's a nice day, might as well get some get, get, a, get, a, get a little of a breeze. Oh Jesus! Oh, Britain's calling me, and I just, I've I've been failing to call him back for a few days now. You can put him on. We're about to talk about tech. Should I get Britain on? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Okay, let me try that. A podcast with a guest feature. Hey, Britton, you're uh, you're you're on a podcast. Me and Eric Jumper are recording a podcast. You called, and he was like, "Well, just put him on the podcast." <laughs> so, well, welcome to Dirt Talk, episode forty, I believe. Well, I'm I'm honored to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, thanks for stopping I by. Need to crash. No, no, I, I've uh, I've been the one ignoring your calls. You're a busy man. I don't know about that. I'm sitting here with Eric Jumper. We're recording a podcast <laughs> in my dining room table. <laughs> oh, the man, the myth, the legend. Here. Yeah. Oh, don't do that to me. Well, well, it, hey, I do. While we're here, and I have a soapbox, I think I want to. I want to challenge the world's best operator. Garrett. Who, Garrett? Yeah. Who else? Who else? Did you have to think about that? Uh, well, really? I just wanted to be clear for the sake of our listeners. Okay. Uh, Britain, we were just talking about running equipment um, with the window and doors open or closed. Closed. 
There you go. Out of boy. Two to one. You see, I don't see, and I'm not an operator, so I have no ability to speak on this subject at all. But I don't see the problem with the doors open or the window open. It gets dirty. On a nice day. It's just, I don't know. Very dirty. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, only time, uh, the only time the window's open is when the front window is open on a utility crew and you got to talk to your crew. Yeah, the that's the time. only exception. I see that a lot. Yeah. yeah. But then people yeah. online will be like, why is the front window open? Like, well, that's stupid. Like, well, you've clearly never been on a pipe crew then, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Expert. Yeah, pipe crews—they're supposed to—they're supposed to uh, read each other's minds. Yep. Ones that are just in sync with each other. Sometimes, I mean, good pipe crews—they don't really talk a whole lot. They just kind of know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, good ones do. Britain, what's the deal with that D eight that you guys have? You've been making a big stink about that. What's going on with that one? You know, it's uh, one of the first—not first D eights. We had one, and it's a, it's a newer model, and. Uh, our, our fleet has been comprised mainly of D6s. I think we have 30 D6s, so it's fun to see a, uh, making a variety out of our fleet a little bit. So that D8 has got, uh, it's new to us as far as big dozer power. So it's got technology, so we loaded the technology, Trimmler's works, and then uh, it's, it's, a, it's a 2019, so it's got the newer transmission in it. So uh, the guys love it, and they think it's got power, and the current operator, we are not going to be able to get out of it. Is the Trimple, is it integrated in there? Does it have masts or no? No, so it is uh, one of the first massless units. Oh, fancy. So, yeah. big iron like that, that's not really, that doesn't exist up there? Is there a lot of D8s with your competitors? Or is, are you? They don't have much for big stuff up there. Really? Yeah. No, yeah, each, our competitors may have one here and there, but D8 is about the biggest we have around here. And wow. excavators, too, because I know, like, one guy's a 390, but other than that, you don't really see anything big up there. No, utility pipe crews are the only ones that have a 390s. Yeah. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a contractor that's around, I think he's got a 1,200 Kamatsu we're used to, but, or uh, 1,200 Hitachi. But it's all big, deep sewer is what those, those big holes are used for. So yeah. Your yeah. crew is typically is 345s, and that's about it. So that's basically a 352, a 345, wide variable gauge. That beautiful next gen three forty nine you guys have, yeah, they were they were just announced today. Did you hear about that? Yeah, they. I don't exist. know if you guys saw them yet. The three fifty twos and the three forty nines. They were just announced today. Yeah, they just got released. They just came into existence. Yeah, yeah. You should be able to buy one soon. Oh wow! Well. Yeah, it's pretty neat. How how has that machine been? It's been great. It's got power and it's fast. It is fast. In a, in a mass earthwork. Or mass excavation uh, application, you will not keep up with it. Well, um, I guess I'll have to return your call at some point today. Yeah. But thanks for for joining the Dirt Talk podcast without even asking for it. I'll need to have you on at some point to actually talk about what you do day to day since it is very interesting. I feel like a lot of people could benefit from hearing what you do. Yeah. 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 You know my number, so let me know. All right. Well, thanks for joining. I'll give you a call a little bit later. Sounds good. Talk to you guys later. See ya. See you later. Yeah. We're very professional here at uh, Dirt Talk and BuildWit. Someone, actually Richie Brothers, speak of the devil, corporate reached out the other day, and they asked me for my press kit for my podcast. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I, press I, I, kit? 
or, or, or media kit or some, some kind of kit. And I'm like, well, I'd love to act like I'm more professional than I really am. But the reality is I just kind of text people and say, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And then hit the record button and put it on the internet. That's the complexity of, uh, of this whole operation. I'm looking up what a press kit is. See, I need a, I need a, a, for Joe Rogan, you know, like a Jamie. We do need a Jamie. Yeah, to ask, to Google things. This is probably going to be my worst podcast to date. We're going to have zero downloads on this one looked up compared to our five normal downloads. I looked up a press kit and I still didn't know what a press kit is. I, well, I think they were trying to like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, but yeah, very un, unprofessional so operation we have here. They might not want to be on the podcast now that you've name dropped them. Well, yeah, maybe they just got what they wanted. They just wanted some free advertising. Everybody go to RichieBrothers.com. RichieBrothers.com. Make sure you check out their upcoming auctions. You can't go to them. I don't... Can you go to them yet? No, you can't you go, can't to, them go to them anymore. So... Yeah. That thing we just said about the the machines that you can't see, but you're going to buy them and they're going to come and they're going to look like they've been in salt water. Remember that. Yes. Because you're going to need it in the future. Well, if it's a D70 at auction, do not buy it. Yes. Because that's definitely been in salt water. Well, don't buy it because it's a D7. <laughs> <laughs> he said it, not me. Uh, I did used to watch Richie Brothers auctions while I was in class in college, though. Every time they'd have an auction, I'd just be sitting there with my computer open watching the results come through. Like, ooh, what did that skid yourself for? Really? Ooh, okay. Wow, damn. That little, you know, the, like, li- the little bobcats that you can barely fit a dude oh, yeah. inside of. Like, wow, that only sold for 13 grand. Like, I could, maybe I could swing that. Like, I'm trying to, like, rationalize saying, it in my, in my head. Like, <laughs> what could I buy? Saying that, like, you have some kind of business buying it at all. Yeah, no. I, and I'd no, I'd have no business thinking about it. Oh uh, and still don't. It might happen soon, though. Hint, hint. Mm hmm. But, yeah, uh, big fan of Rich Brothers. Um, so you've joined on to Build Wit. Yes. How's it been so far? You've been with us, I don't know, maybe a month now? It's not been bad. Yeah. Um, Pretty, yeah. It's been... I'll take it. It's been an adjustment. Let's say that. Yeah. So it's kind of tough because... So the the job I had six months prior, well, working the job, I've been here for a month. So the job I had six months leading up to coming to BuildWit, I was a project manager. So I was already kind of lacking seat time. I was already like kind of doing stuff that I'll say I have no business doing estimating jobs, figuring out how to do jobs, stuff like that, you know, the fun stuff. And now I came here, and now I definitely don't get any seed time. Yeah. So I went out and helped Marty, Marty Liam, two weeks ago. So I got my dozer fix on for a weekend, building a track with him in South Carolina. But, yeah, so that's been the biggest adjustment so far, has been going from building tangible things to taking photos and getting weird looks from people on, on job sites. We get a lot of those. And I knew I knew it would be a little weird not being in the seat initially. And yeah. it's still probably going to be weird for a long time. Oh, absolutely. It's going to take you like six months to a year. I feel like it took Chell quite a while to, to move from the construction world to our world. Right. But he hasn't left yet. Yeah. It, it, it can't be that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some days it can be, but... I mean, but you've, uh, you've, we've got you around in a very short amount of time. I have logged 8,700 miles since I started this October. There you go. On my frequent flyer. There you go. So I'm well on my way to yeah. becoming a super frequent flyer. What's the, yeah, like, like me and Angel. Angel's now higher up on American Airlines than I am. 
Wow, that's he's, something. He's been making me feel in, in superior. Maybe if you left your house more often, you'd get more frequent fire miles. <laughs> well, someone's got to <laughs> someone's got to make sure people get people get paychecks. Angel, go days. here. Angel, go there. Yeah. I'm yeah. not coming with you. What are you talking about? I'm not going uh, North Dakota. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, <laughs> that's that's one I don't. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll uh, happily send them that one. Um, uh, what's the coolest thing you've seen so far? We went underground in Chicago, and I think that was pretty badass. That was pretty wild. So we went. We were, we were visiting with Bulk, and Bulk um, services equipment for a mining company. Yeah, they only have one or two pieces of equipment that they rent to this one company, this mine. But they service, they help service all of the equipment at the mine that the mine owns. So part of that is, on top of them being a surface mine, they have in they've run out of space basically up top, and they went underground to get yeah. more material. It's an underground aggregate mine. I've never seen anything like that. Normally, you do not go underground unless you really absolutely have to. Well, the thing with going underground is it just costs a lot of money to go underground. Right. It's it's we've been doing it for hundreds of years now, so it's not like it's hard. Right. But it just costs a ridiculous amount of money. So whatever you're going after has to be very expensive to justify going underground, developing all the infrastructure required to be underground in the first place. Absolutely. Especially nowadays. And they said they they sunk tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars into just developing this place before they got a single ton of aggregate out of it. Well, and I think what I think the the most fascinating part of it to me that I was not expecting was, you know, when you think underground, you're like, oh, you know, you're not gonna be able to stand up all the way. You're gonna be on your hands and knees the whole time. Yeah, it's gonna be claustrophobic. They were loading seven seventy fives with a nine eighty eight underground. Yeah, that was they're the, wild. Little, they're the little crusher underground. Yeah, yeah, the whole operation underground. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're mining 25-foot lifts all the way to 75 feet. So the finished rooms, they're basically creating these this one enormous room with all these huge pillars to hold the roof up right. that's 75 feet tall. So it's very spacious. Oh, yeah. Like, we went down to where they had got to the final depth. It was enormous. And then they're going underneath that once they've exhausted all of it and building another room. And then they're going underneath that and building a whole other room. And so they said they have 70 years of aggregate down here for the Chicago market. And it, it's just crazy to think that aggregate is so expensive in Chicago that they have to go 500 feet underground to go get it. I told them to make an awesome parking garage when they're done. Make a sweet parking garage. It really would. Or evil lair. Yeah, that was, so that was probably the, the coolest thing we'd done so far. Yeah. And we did an interview down there. Yeah, that was unique. We did an underground interview in an active mine. Who knows if the audio is worth anything because it was very loud. Yeah. Because the thing with um, the underground mine, obviously there's no acoustical properties to rock. So all the equipment is very noisy down there. And they were not going to stop for us. They were not stopping. So we had 988s, two 988s loading right next to us. And then you have these enormous fans blowing all of this air into the mine. And the air, they've created like a pathway there's a there's a shaft where they draw the air in and then the air goes through a a specific pathway thanks to these curtains that they'll draw across certain areas and then it goes out the mine another way so you have these huge fans blowing this air in and it's really noisy down there yeah it was something else it was pretty cool yeah that was a that was a wild trip i mean we saw a lot of crazy stuff because you saw the steel mills too which are just like Something mind, else. Mind-boggling themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then we saw Capstone. Yeah. 
And this was all in a very short period of time, too. Yeah. Yeah. Brand new 994K. That was the same week, wasn't it? Yeah. I was all in three days. Shit. Yeah. yeah. In three days, it was Capstone, so big copper mine. It was two steel mills. It was Bulk's rebuild facility. It was two rail yards and an underground mine. In technically two and a half days. Yeah. And a 982 was like the smallest wheel loader I saw that whole week. Yeah. That was wild. Yeah, you've seen more 988s in that week than the rest of your existence. Hulk has a shitload of 988s, mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully you're not regretting the decision. No, I think it'll be good. I'm pretty pumped about the office. I just got 25 emails about the new office today. Yeah. So that was fun. I read through all that. <clears throat> you know, we're in the the phase in our company history where we're trying to explain to people that mm, we're, we're, we don't know what we're doing. So I don't want to lie to people and say we know what we're doing or right. professionals because we're not. We're, yeah. we're still still figuring things out very I much mean, so. I mean, you hired me with zero marketing and photo experience. Mm-hmm. So that's yep. just... Well, again, the jury's still out on that one. No um, experience. Yeah. But we're trying to explain to people that we are more capable than we once were. Than we were... I, online, it appears that it's just me running around the United States with my, the quote is, my dad pays for everything. Uh, and they don't understand that there's actually a business behind it. So we're trying to show people that, no, there's there's a business here and we're helping people and it's exciting stuff. Well, and, you know, you've kind of been looking at it from the same perspective for, what do you, three, three years now? Yeah, three years. So you're kind of in the driver's seat looking at things and, you know, it's like, you know, you're trying to lose weight. You don't look in the mirror for a year. And yeah. You're going to the gym every day. Yeah. You come back to the mirror. Okay, you look like you lost weight. But if you're looking in the mirror every day, mm-hmm. it's not noticeable. So I will say from my perspective, following along from, I would say pretty close to the beginning, the company has drastically changed from the outsider's view. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, it still looks like, you know, from some cases you're you're running around by yourself doing all this, but... If you dig into it just a little bit, you'll find that it's changed a hell of a lot. I mean, you know, everything from the from the face of everything and how much more professional things look. You know, we're dealing with pretty big clients and we're a lot of people are coming to you for advice. So Yeah. I think you're doing something right. I guess. Every time like someone comes to me for advice, I get a little nervous. I'm like, oh, you're asking the wrong guy. But uh we're happy to have you on board. Yeah. One day we'll figure out what I do. One day. Today's not the day, though. No. Well, everybody, I feel like that was uh, an hour well spent. We'll find out. We'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) We touched on Snowcats. We just said how we had the record podcast downloads for last month. Yes. This might take a drastic... Well, this will set us back. That is true. Humble Um, beginnings. It will. Stay humble to be humbled. (laughs) It's one of our values for a reason. But yes, last month was our, or I guess the month is not over yet. October, highest downloads to date of Dirt Talk. Snow Talk. Well, now Snow Talk. We're rebranding. Mud Talk. Well, and, and, and winter is upon us. So we could just rebrand a Snow Talk and just do snow until yeah, spring. We could have a, a, a January themed ski industry podcast. Yeah. I'll, I'll we, work on it. We do not do anything with the ski industry whatsoever. No. But it would no. be neat. It would be neat. There are a lot of groomers that follow you. There are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is pretty cool. A lot of them hit me up. A lot of them are going to be messaging me, both of us, to correct us on 
everything we said? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Even though a lot of it was probably correct. And then we're going to get emails or, or, or angry phone calls from the Army Corps. The Army Corps. Yeah. Richie Brothers, Caterpillar. Yep. We pissed off a lot of people in a very <laughs> short period of time. You know, but... Um, what I the, for. Well, the quote I shared, I shared with the, the group the other day was, do not fear antagonizing people because if there's no antagonism there's no battle and without battle there's no victory well if there's anything we're good at it's antagonizing <laughs> i have done some of that <laughs> lately <laughs> and, and throughout the past few years yes uh, and continue to do so yep. yeah you just have to do it in a tasteful manner i see people online you have to be you have to be smart about it right. and clever about it how you how you throw your jabs i don't know you were pretty heated last week about the the, the field follow thing because it's stupid. It was pretty stupid. Yes. Yeah. Because because I'm I'm I have gone way out of my way to post field fall machines on the internet. Right. And and I haven't even done the most damage. Like I talked to Jimmy Starbuck about it. He posted the three ninety five before a, Con Expo. That was big. I <laughs> was dying laughing when I saw that on the internet because oh. I knew exactly what he did. I knew exactly what but the, the lawyers were going to be think, thinking and, and sending, yep. you know, their cease and desist letters and this and that. Poor Jimmy. And they did. Yep. And he's just sitting there like, you guys don't know how the internet works. <laughs> like, come on. But that's all it takes nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I am no. It wasn't even his photo either. No. I, I forget. No, no, no. Yeah. No, it was Somebody set, else it was posted by the truck driver. Yeah. So the poor truck driver, guy doesn't have a job anymore. He'll be Did he really get fired from that? I'm sh- oh, absolutely. Oh, jeez. There's no question. They had to get, they had to get someone's head. We should hire him. Yeah. That would be funny. Well, what would he do? Would he turn him into a marketing guy or would he start a trucking division? Oh, why not both? Yeah. Build with trucking. Yeah. Coming soon. 2021. Oh, I fucking hate trucking, though. I do, too. I want nothing to do with trucking. No. I mean, <laughs> we love truckers. We don't want to piss off another audience. No, I, I'm not saying truckers are bad. I just... Yeah. I, it's just trucking as somebody, in general. As somebody yeah. who owned triaxles and dump trucks for a while... The logistics of owning trucks is a nightmare. It, it takes a special even, person. It's not even that bad. The government just comes in and says, no, we're going to make this complicated for you guys. Sorry. Well, well, and that's like you were on the East Coast, like try California or something like that. Like being oh. a trucking business owner in a yeah. state of California. No, thank you. Yep. No, thank you. And then now, like I've seen all these guys, they have to go sell off all their trucks for next to nothing. Yeah. And then go buy all these brand new trucks. When their business it can't even support that. Because it doesn't put out the right smoke. Because it doesn't yeah. clean the air. It's pretty it's pretty ridiculous. It's wild. I mean it, yeah. Clean emissions, that's great. It's super a super fun talking point, but it's putting people out of business. Yeah. A lot of people out of business. It's been crazy to see. Well, the people that make those decisions have a bunch of homeless people living in their front yard, so I don't <laughs> feel too bad for well, them. Well, and they don't they don't drive trucks, so they yeah, have their well, Tesla. They don't need to worry about yeah. emissions because they drive a zero emission vehicle, things even though just, it's all made out of metal. Yeah, and things just magically wind up at the at the store that they shop at. Yeah, they just yeah, teleport yeah, there. They yeah. don't get <laughs> delivered by a, a, a van trailer of any kind. Yeah, no, or yeah, they don't use roads or use electricity or yeah, yeah. it's all just magic. They'll figure it out one day. Yeah, well. With that, before we get... Uh, we need to finish this up so I can have my work table back. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> uh, everyone, thanks for listening to this disaster of a podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And I guess what I was trying to say was I appreciate everyone listening. We had record downloads last month, which is awesome. So I sincerely appreciate everyone sharing it. And it's been so cool to receive all the messages I have over the past few weeks. 
uh, from people saying, we just found it. We've been, we've been loving it. We're catching up on all these episodes. Hopefully they're getting better. Hopefully I'm starting to figure it out. It's still probably going to take me another 40 episodes to maybe get it figured out. We also have, and this is big news. We're going to have a podcast studio in our office. We will need a Jamie. We will need a Jamie. Now accepting applications for Jamie. Yes. Yeah. If you are similar to Jamie, like on the Joe Rogan show, Joe Rogan experience, let us know because we're going to need your help. Holy fuck. We're getting so many applications for people who think they can do that job. Well, we didn't tell them where to send the applications in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mr. Eric, we'll get back to work. Um, Thanks for being on. Uh, I don't know if I had a choice. You didn't. It just kind of happened. It did happen. Yeah. And again, thank you everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed this one, if you've enjoyed other ones, please share them. We're spending, we have no advertisers. We have no real podcast budget. We are a scrappy operation. The least thing you can do for us is to just share it with the world to get the gospel of dirt out to as many folks as possible. And we will see you on the next episode. That's hopefully a little bit more educational than this one.